Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Oh my God. Ben, please, quit gambling. We have a show to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's excited about these casinos coming. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, November 16th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe, and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, and you can become a binhead. That's chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, November 16th, and live from my apartment in Chicago. Yes, I'm back in Chicago. And his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the long-awaited return of Sam Holloway and Dave McCarver. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Johnny Catanzaro Quits Tuesday, and here's why. Because Johnny Catanzaro Quits. That's why. That's easy. Head of the Fraternal Order Police, the Maggiest MAGA man in the city of Chicago. He wears that MAGA flag with, he flies that MAGA flag with pride. Johnny Catanzaro. <laughs> if you love Donald Trump, that's your guy in Chicago. He's the head of the Fraternal Order Police, somehow or other, the police of this city. And a lot of police I like. I'm just saying that out there. There's, I got some friends who are police. I'm not going to name them now because Johnny Catanzaro will probably kick him out of the union if he finds out that they're friends with me. But in their. Somehow or other, they thought it was a good idea in a city that despises Donald Trump to elect as their president a man who loves Donald Trump. Now, far be it for me to give vice to other unions, but man, I don't know about that one. Seems far-fetched. Anyway, Johnny Catanzaro was up on all kinds of charges, uh, and rather than face the charges and get fired by the city of Chicago, he said, that's it. Take this job and shove it. I quit. And then he started singing that song, take this job and shove it. And uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to bring back a good friend of mine. Probably the leftiest firefighter in the city of Chicago. I don't know if there's any competition <laughs> in this battle. So before we bring on Sam Holloway, my dear friend and neighbor, I just want to say something right now. I do this every time Sam comes on the show because Sam is left of center, to put it mildly. And in this country, the people who really get punished for speaking their minds, the people who could get shot in the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then the shooter goes off scot-free, those people are lefties. 
So I'm just going to quote something that Tim Grace, Johnny Catanzara's lawyer, said. So all you Johnny Catanzara fans in the Chicago Fire Department and all you Johnny Catanzara fans in the Chicago Police Department who are outraged that I give an opportunity to Sam Holloway to speak his mind, I'm going to quote to you something that Tim Grace, John Catanzara's own lawyer, said in yesterday's hearing. He said, and I quote, more speech is always better speech. Either you believe in free speech or you don't. You hear that, Cat and Zara? You hear that, firefighters who are to the right of Cat and Zara? All right, Sam, if they fire you, if they punish you, if they do anything, you let me know. <laughs> you and I will go down because you saw what happened to me with my radio career. So we'll go down in the same uh, lefty ship together. Welcome back, Sam. Thank you, Ben. Um Hello to you. Hello to Dennis once again. Uh, and also, uh, Rebecca says hello. Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca is uh, Sam's lovely wife. Uh, Sam is my neighbor, and I bumped him the other day walking down the street. Go, Sam, you haven't been on the show in a while. Let's get you back on. All right, a lot to talk about. Let's start with uh, can, John. Can, can I just oh. give you a, a little of uh, what you were saying? I'm, I'm not worried about the right wing coming after me. I'm, I'm one tiny little voice. They don't worry about me. You know who I'm worried? You, if I were going to be worried, which I'm really not, do you know who I'd have to be concerned about? It would be the, uh, the liberals. Well, it would be the, the, the moderates are the ones who will come after me. The, see, the right wing doesn't have to worry about me because they know that they can count on the liberals to take care of me first. See, I'm, I, I'm not out in the streets armed or anything. I'm just talking. Okay, that's true. But let me just say this about the Fraternal Order Police. I'm very disappointed in them uh, on this front. Okay, they advocate free speech for John Catanzaro to wear a Donald Trump T-shirt. But when a black police officer takes a knee, they kick him out of the union. So that's what I'm getting at. So you don't have as much freedom as you think, Sam, from the right. I don't I don't claim to. But I'm just saying they're not they don't they don't have to worry about me. but anyway, what, what you were saying is regarding free speech is there is no I, I don't think there is any such thing. I think it's a great sales pitch. But what we have is privileged speech. Um, the Constitution on paper guarantees free speech. But in practice, um, speeches, you can I can say whatever I want in the privacy of my home. Um, but the. And, and I'm sure Catanzaro has experienced this personally, regardless of what we think of what he said. Um, if you, and there's, there's actually, this is written policy on the fire department. If I go on, you know, Facebook as Sam Holloway and I post something that pisses off someone on the fifth floor at City Hall, um, and if I were dumb enough to do it while I'm on duty, they can have me fired. This is written policy. Now, that's free. You could say I have a right to free speech, but my employer can say that my speech reflects poorly on the department, on the city, and can get rid of me. This and this is, and I would have very little. Um, I would really have to put up a fight to keep my job. So, yeah. so I, that's just an example. What I'm saying is, is. This is not going to happen because I'm not on Facebook. Um, uh, but free speech is a lovely concept, but we don't have it. We've never had it. All right. Let me ask you this. Let's say uh, they went after you uh, for sure. some lefty view that you have. <laughs> uh, we just pick, pick one. Pick one, yeah. <laughs> All right, whatever. Uh, and they went after you. Do sure, we'll you get to think- one here today. 
Yeah, I'm sure we <laughs> I'm sure we will. So, Sam, and do you think the Fraternal Order of Police would be supporting you? No. In other words, okay, go ahead. Do, no, do absolutely not. Uh, only if what I say happens to briefly dovetail with something, some agenda they have at the moment, then maybe. And I would probably be horrified by that. But <laughs> I, the only agenda that they would have, and this is this is, and I, we call this the Sam Holloway theory, which I <laughs> I, oh I give you all the time, I credit for, and I uh, I put it in, I kind of modify it a little bit uh, when I put it in print because I'm usually using it as a weapon against the Republican Party. But the exact quote that Sam gave, and he gave it on this show. Uh, is that fascists don't care if you uh, call them a hypocrite or show that they are hypocrites. They only care about winning. Uh, so when we, when I hear the president, uh, the the lawyer for the Fraternal Order of Police, Johnny Catanzara, opine about the sanctity of free speech and how more speech is always better speech, I have to laugh because I do not believe that the the right in this country believes in the principle of free speech. They're always trying to stifle free speech, be that the free speech of Colin Kaepernick to take the knee or. Ben Jarofsky to denounce economic development well, handouts. Go but ahead. Of, of course, Ben, they understand the game they're playing. And, and again, I can't take credit for that. What I told you is a paraphrase. It's a clumsy paraphrase of, of my favorite uh, political analyst, uh, Nina Illingworth, who I'm always plugging on here. But anyway, that said, um, they understand the game they're playing. And they, uh, they know that... These, these concepts we talk about, free speech and whatever, are profoundly hypocritical, shallow at best, and there's very little consistency built into the system to, to protect and encourage the, the, something like free speech. So um, when, and, and I'm trying to put this, find a way to say this, it's not incredibly harsh. Oh, what the hell, why do I bother? Um, <laughs> they know that they're dealing with profound hypocrisy across that imagined aisle. Um, liberals don't want me, you know, you're not going to see me moderating a presidential debate anytime soon. It's not going to happen. You know, someone like me, I'm, I, God forbid there is someone else out there, but I'm sure there are people who have similar political beliefs to me. And, you, you know, you're just not going to see these people finding popular platforms and the way our media system works, you know, corporate funded, even even PBS um, and, and national public radio are heavily uh, indebted to to corporate funding and, and rich people's money. So it, I, I, I'd throw them in there as well. Um, but these things are structurally resistant to platforming left wing voices. Right-wing voices don't need them because they have their own infrastructure built up over the years. Mm -hmm. And so what you wind up having is this, this um, media, sort of media political economy where everything is constantly being drawn towards the right. Um, and this mythical center is forever sort of drifting toward the right. And you see it in everything, media coverage of everything. A good example right now is foreign policy, where everyone and their grandmother on PBS, NPR, uh, 
corporate media, all the corporate networks, uh, cable channels, they're all going after Cuba right now. They were they're really touting this this uh, CIA and NED backed supposed uh, protest for democracy that was supposed to happen in Cuba. Uh, I think it was yesterday. If nothing happened, it didn't go over. So they had two narratives in, in the event that let's say 100 people came out. 100 of their, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about what's happening down there, but um, we've been assaulting Cuba ever since they declared their, basically declared their independence from the mafia and uh, I, ITT and whoever else is running things down there when the Castro led revolution threw them out throughout Batista and then they declared the you know the socialist revolution down there well that was not too popular with us and we've been on their case ever since we've been attacking them militarily um, sponsoring if not carrying out ourselves like what we would call terrorist attacks not not to mention the embargo that's been non-stop and we have that and I think it was what's the guy's name Blinken the uh, Secretary, Secretary of State uh, spokesperson or whatever. Mm. Um, he actually had the gall, and he's, he's got a lot of unmitigated gall. This guy's got it to spare. He actually got on national TV, international TV, and said something about Cubans respecting democracy and, and not, uh, you know, torturing citizens or whatever. Bro. It's, he didn't get the memo about this little corner of Cuba, which is quasi-legally uh, occupied by the United States of America. We call it Guantanamo Bay. Now, if you want to find torture and unlawful imprisonment in Cuba, that's where you want to go. But I don't think he was talking about that. Anyway, but, this, but, but my point being, if you were to turn on the TV yesterday to any channel from Fox News, MSNBC, they're all running this anti-Cuba line. Yeah, but the dis distinction that they'll make in the coverage, and I don't want to get too far afield from what I wanted to ask you about, but the distinction that they'll make between right-wing and left-wing media is that the right-wing media will use that as a weapon against the Democrats. Uh, and so I, I, could, I could hear what they would be saying, Sam. They're not hard enough on Cuba. They're allowing Cuba to uh, impose its uh, rigid policies, tyrannical policies on its people. But if Donald Trump were president, it would be different. So, But it wasn't. I, I know, but the point is, is that that's the <laughs> distinction in the media in this country, the national media. The, essentially, the worldview, this, your point is I well taken, that the view, the message being put out about uh, the toxic Cuban government would be the same, but in one case, it would be used uh, to sort of like rally America together, which is what the liberal mainstream media would do. And then the other one would be used to promote a Republican agenda. And so that's how everything is weaponized by the, the Republican propaganda but, machine. But country. the other way of looking at that is the Democrats um, count on that. It's look at it this way. And this gets and this may boil. This could we could use this if you like to segue right back into what's what's going on with what you wanted to ask me. But I have a hunch that it will. Um, you, you're familiar with wrestling, right? Yes. So you know what a heel is, right? Yes. But explain to our listeners. OK. Um, the heel is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we say that wrestling is fake. I'm not going to use that term because I think there's some of the, and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke. I really do believe, even though I'm not a fan, that they're some of the, the best athletes in the world. Because if you look at it from my perspective, if, if what they're doing is fake, how do they not kill each other? Yeah. That takes some, that takes a hell of a lot of athleticism and skill. That said, in wrestling, there are characters who traditionally, maybe out for their whole career or for parts of their career, they'll play the heel. They're the bad guy, the villain. Everyone's supposed to boo them when they show up. Um, the, when you're talking about Demo- Democrats and Republicans, from my perspective, way out on the left, subjectively, relatively speaking, it's a cage. It's a cage match between two heels. <laughs> Wait. By the way, let me just say this about wrestling. It's fixed. It's not fake. Oh no! Okay. That, I like fixed. that. I like. I like it's not that. fake. Okay. Like the outcome is fixed. They right. know who's going to win. But what they're doing is real. Absolutely. If you don't know what okay. you're doing, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, because you got to take that, that fall. And, yeah, and they do. They 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 take a lot of punishment, and it's yeah. it's. I, I hats off to them. So fixed, yeah. But that said, much like Chicago politics, fixed yes. but not fake. Yes, uh, and and uh, would you you were asking me about the the vaccine fight this this latest uh, vaccine thing, it and city the city versus the police union, a well it's in practice it's the entire firefighters union even though. We're talking about a very small percentage of the union, which is is are, are playing the refusenik role here. There, there's only a really a, f- a small handful of abstainers and that are actually refusing to take the vaccine, uh, and an even smaller number who are even refusing to do what the city has currently has a right to do, which is ask us to give them report our status. There's even a few that don't even want to do that. I don't think we've lost very many yet. I think maybe one or a few handful have actually quit mm-hmm. or retired over this so far. And, it's, and it looks like, uh, and, and I'll tell you a little story in a moment to tell you how, how things are going with that. <laughs> but anyway, but the city versus the anti-vaxxers, to me, it's another cage match between two heels. And... In my opinion, if it weren't for the behavior of the one, you could the other would, would not even have tried to do what they're doing. And this goes beyond the city when, when we're talking about wait, anti-vax. Wait, 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 let's break that down because that's you're into something there. Uh, all right, it's two heels. If it wasn't for the behavior of one, the other one wouldn't try. Who's the one's behavior that you're alluding to in that sense? The city. The city. So what is it about the city's behavior that's inciting a response from Johnny Cannon's there? The way um, he, it, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's inciting him. It, it left the door open for it is a better way of putting it. Um, and it's not entirely the city's fault that they don't have the resources to do what we should have done, which is shut the city completely down. Anyone who does not absolutely have to do report to a place to do a job should not have been it should not have been there for about what what is it six to eight weeks they estimated so we can get this thing under control isolate it but see again that's not entirely the city's fault that they didn't have the resources to do that because this is the united states of america we don't have a public health infrastructure we don't have we we don't everything's in the too much is in the hands of the private sector 
And we know how that gets stratified to, you know, to, to the higher up you go, the more concentration there is. So there's precious few resources for doing things like shutting down a country um, or even a region and paying people to stay at home. We don't, we don't do it. It's, it's put on your mask, stay at home. Well, people couldn't afford to do that. And the people who could least afford to do it, the people who get fired from their jobs if they were going to do it, those are the ones out there spreading it. Mm. Generally, more or less. The most vulnerable people. I mean, we weren't as bad as New York. Uh, Illinois was nowhere near as bad as New York, where, where Governor Cuomo at the time um, was sending like COVID positive people into nursing homes. I mean, I, I don't know if... The, Let's just put it this way. If, if that were China, his family might be getting the bill for a bullet in the back of his head right now. But this is the United States of America. And he people became homosexuals while he was doing that because he wasn't Donald Trump, because he might have said some rude words about Donald Trump. He could kill a bunch of seniors. You know, but my point being, even if Cuomo wanted to do something better, we don't have the infrastructure for doing that. This is the United States of America. Everything's in the private sector. We've, whatever public health sector we've had, we've all but gutted it. So we're ill-equipped to manage a COVID-19 pandemic. That's not the city's fault. But what is the city's fault is the, the sort of hypocritical, two-faced way of saying, well, we're, we're going to do what we have to do, except for that restaurant over there. But, you know, um, and a lot of these bougie rich parents are tired of having their kids at home while they're trying to work from home, you know, privileged as they are to be able to do that in some cases, they're tired of having their kids at home. They want the schools open so they can get their kids back into schools and out of their, out of their houses. And I, I get it. Childcare is expensive. It's hard to, it may be a little difficult to do your little three, four meetings or whatever you got to really do for the day on your, on your job from your home office with the kids running around in the back, even though they're supposed to be on school too, you know, especially if you've got younger kids, that's difficult. But what's the solution to try and strong arm teachers back into poorly ventilated, poorly equipped schools with these, with kids who are going to be spreading this thing around? Was that the right move? So do you think that, and we've had this conversation, Sam, uh, many times, Yes, that the really deep uh, reaction against anything re resembling a mandate when it comes to the vaccine is rooted in the obvious hypocrisy or the mixed messages that are being sent. Like, for instance, this one that people have been sending me today. Uh, President, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris posing with uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I didn't send this to you. I, I, I wish I had. I'm Which glad Lori you didn't. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for not doing that. Uh, yesterday, and neither of them are wearing a mask. Now, mm -hmm. I presume they're both vaccinated. Uh, they may even each have the booster. And uh, But, again, it's... Uh, we, the mixed message. I can't even get to. I mean, it's like Lori Lightfoot already did this. You know, she was at the Chicago Sky game, Sam. I know the, mm -hmm. the when they won the championship, and she was surrounded ghost, by Ghost Sky, Ghost Sky, 
uh, big sky fan, two of us. And yes. she's the only person not wearing a mask and it's indoors. So this, I, mm-hmm. as a bulls fan, I could tell you that the rules are when you go into a, a big arena to watch your basketball team, you have to wear a mask unless you're eating. They allow you to pull the mask down while you're eating a hot dog or drinking something. Okay. Where you're eating or drinking other than that mask on, that's the city rule. She's, just defying the rule and not only is she defying the rule sam holloway she's sending it out on her twitter account like look at me defying the rule and so that burns me up well this isn't are you saying that's rooted that's what's sparking resistance i think it's no that that, sam holloway it is deeper than that that just opens the door for it like i remember last year at the height of the pandemic a lightfoot took her little entourage and a, and a little phalanx of cops out to the west side or south side or something. It's definitely a, a black neighborhood, like a labor class black neighborhood. And there were kids outdoors playing on some public park or school ground or whatever. Play and she made, yeah. she made the point of bringing a camera and scolding these kids for being out and about when they should have been at home because this is a very serious pandemic and they're going to be spreading around. I was at, I think I was at work that day or the next. And I remember driving around all these North side parks, which were jam packed with people. They were not masked. They were outdoors. I didn't see any, any sign of Lori out there scolding those people. Well, you know, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Now, there's two. I remember that. And and then she said, you're going to give it to your mamas. She used that word. She was talking yeah. to them. Uh, now, here we go. In defense of Lori Lightfoot, <laughs> words that I never thought would come out of my mouth. In defense of Lori Lightfoot, she had that infamous moment, uh, which we made fun of her for, Dennis and I, for months, where she got she threw the hissy fit about people on the lakefront. And she was scolding them in general. She, I'm not making this up, Sam. She, it was like she thought she was a lawyer in court. And so she had pictures taken. It was a beautiful day in March. I saw, God, it's coming back. Like the first <laughs> nice day Chicago's had in a long time. So what do Chicagoans do? They've been in, cooped in for three months or whatever, Sam. They rush to the lake, all right? They rush to a park. And they're running and flying a kite and rollerblading and playing soccer. And so she took pictures. Some, I'm sure she didn't take the pictures. She had someone take pictures. And she held the pictures up like Exhibit A. Chicagoans violating my rule. Well, that's it. I'm shutting down the parks. <laughs> that's your solution. Now, Sam, you were talking about shutting down the city. I'm not sure I agree with you on that point. Well, and, but, but I will say this. I think you and I will agree that shutting down a park, we now know, would not have really... no. Well, prevented no. the spread because now we know about how the diseases and how the diseases sure it's how it spreads but it was it was the optics she was she was almost her hand was almost forced because the optics were, were just too out there and i i have to think maybe someone in her office or in her her uh, entourage might have pointed out what she had done before with the black kids, the young African-American children, how you're scolding them while the white people are out and the rich white people are out in the park doing what they want. So maybe you better come back and make it sound more even handed. 
I, I would not. I, on the one hand, I think there's probably someone smart enough in her office to point that out. And I do not put it past them that that was, you know, a major reason for them coming out. Valid early, point. Or at least a bit. But anyway, That's you, a valid point. back to the, the cage match between two heels. Again, it's not entirely what I was trying to get at is not entirely the city's fault. But what they did with what they had was two-faced, inadequate, and put, and if the teachers hadn't have put up a fight, it could have been a lot deadlier than it was. So that opens the door for this, you know, in as in, in the waning moments and po- and the post-Trump moments for this politics of narcissism to rear its head. Um, and you know, because remember the, we were some of the first to be offered the vaccine firefighters, paramedics first, quite logically makes most sense. They were most in danger of running into, you know, COVID potential COVID exposures. Then firefighters were get, were given, you know, next crack at it. So we were getting this stuff pretty early on in the game and a lot of people rushed to get it. I think our numbers were fairly good at the beginning of people who were avail- you know, ready to do it, opting in. And I don't recall any of my colleagues showing up with an extra head on their shoulders from the COVID <laughs> vaccines. So uh, no one was you know, shriveling up and turning to dust from the, from the effects of the vaccines. Uh, so yeah, it was a pretty successful thing. Um, so I, I question, there's this obvious issues with the timing of this, the, this, this uh, vaccine protest. I think it's very opportunistic. Um, and I'm not a, a journalist. I'm too lazy and I don't have access to, to sort that to those kind of sources. But I'm going to wager, I'd wager a paycheck that if you look into the vaccine, this ma- vaccine mandate uh, protest business, you keep digging, you're going to find some of that right-wing billionaire money behind it. Well, I could guarantee you, uh, if the right-wing billionaire you talk about is Rupert Murdoch, uh, or, the that, Co- or the Koch brothers, or the Co- but, but what I'm the, the point I'm making is that um, this is the uh, position broadcast out by Fox News at, to the, they're making a lot of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Politically speaking, the Republicans are gaining ground on it. Uh, as hard as as hard as for me to take, you know, some um, folks, strategists, what have you, are looking at the Virginia gubernatorial election and saying that part of the reason the Democrat lost is that people are getting uh, tired of the pandemic, uh, and uh, and they want uh, a break from the pandemic. So uh, they're just the Democrats are pay, playing a role for that. I I um, I feel as though that that message um, that message is a lot deeper in this country uh, than any. Oh, I, I agree. Recognize, and you do know that same because you you're exposed to it a lot. I'm sure I you am. are. I am, and and it's complicated because you you get people who are. If I can hold a conversation with some people and and I'm very, very gentle about how I, I broach these topics and get into them, I can find that reach points of agreement with a lot of things with people. It depends on how you bring it up. But when it comes to moving people um, at that sort of subliminal level, 
uh, that our, much of our politics seems to operate at. I think one of the biggest problems is that what, what, we, what we in this country call liberals and conservatives are not that far apart on a lot of the major issues. I like to look at it that way. I mean, you know, never mind the cage match for a moment. But um, that that imaginary aisle between the Democrats and Republicans. Think about the things they agree on and how horrible those things are, like spending massive amounts of money on our military apparatus, you know, while our infrastructure here is crumbling. Um, you know, all these things we could be doing here. Uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not even going to get into foreign policy. I don't have to. We, we pretty much know that it's a one-upmanship game. Um, I think the Democrats spent four years telling Donald Trump he wasn't vicious enough to North Korea or the DPRK. I mean, can you imagine if you know anything about the history of what we did in Korea, what we've done in Korea, to, to, to say that a president needs to be tougher on them? This is what the Democrats were saying for four years against Donald Trump, because he was actually willing to talk to them, which is, you know, quite well. OK, that, he was a psycho. A little, yeah. Well, he, who he is a psycho. You talking about Trump? Trump. Yeah. Well, both. Well, yeah, but psychos. Well, but, I, see, that's the thing. I, I, but let me put I, it this way. When I think about Trump and North Korea, I think about Donald Trump and the, the strange psyche, the strange things that go in his head. And he's forever envious of Barack Obama. And Barack Obama got a Nobel, uh, Nobel Peace Prize. For and what? he wanted a Nobel Peace Prize. And he goes, I'm going to get a Nobel Peace Prize. I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to have this great moment where I go to Korea. I can see that little brain going around, Sam Holloway. You know, that's, he's you know? not too bright. If he wanted a Nobel Peace Prize, like, Peace Prize like Obama, he should have drone bombed some little kids. That's what Obama did to get his. No, Obama got his Peace Prize before he did anything. No, 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 no. He, one, of, what, one of his first acts as president was to incinerate some little children in Pakistan. I know. But what I'm saying is that I believe, and we'll have to make one of our famous bets, that Obama got the Peace Prize. I think, God, now this is really testing my memory. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think he got the Peace Prize either i have to look this up right before he was sworn in as president okay i see what in other words the prize was given what they to, thought he was, was going to do yeah it was an embarrassment it was like everybody was so happy that bush was gone and hey let's give yeah. this guy a prize uh but your, your point's well taken all right my next guest is here david mccarver i haven't even got to talk about uh what's going to happen uh <laughs> Uh, with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, but here's what we'll do. Uh, I'm bringing, we'll just bring you back next week after the trial. Uh, Sam and I, before the show, talked a lot about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. He's going to walk. And yeah, that, that when they dropped the charges on the guns, I, Sam, I'm just like, wow. I told you, Ben, it's a setup. It, the, the, the way that that clown right wing judge was acting, it was a show. It's a show trial, and they're going to let him walk, and. As with everything else, you have a sitting Democratic president, Democratic AG. They're, they're daring them yeah. to do something. Yes. And you know what? They're not going to move an inch. They're going to let it slide. And, and you know, I, I would find the whole thing laughable, except for people who were there in Kenosha have said immediately after that shooting, the cops went apeshit. Even more than they were already, they went apeshit against like street medics, anyone that they perceived as being. I see. There's that term again. Um, okay, I, I'm going to make it quick, and then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll leave this alone. Uh, 
and I'm, I'm just so everyone knows I'm black, so I can say this. Kyle Rittenhouse, in my opinion, he and his mother crossed state lines illegally with a weapon because Kyle Rittenhouse wanted a chance to target and shoot some niggers and nigger lovers. That's what he wanted, and that's what he did. And the cops were more or less with the right wing down there, the armed right wing who were in Kenosha. They were on their side. They were chatting amiably with them before and after the shooting. They were cracking left wing skulls before and after the shooting, maybe a little more after. And people on the ground there said that they were targeting them even harder after that shooting. So this trial is a show trial. And not only that, but that Rittenhouse's lawyer, he's got some, oh, he's, he's a rough character. There are people, let's just say there are people who've gotten visits and calls since that shooting leading up to the trial from some threatening characters, some intimidating characters, people who were there. And I'm not talking about right wingers. I'm talking about people who are marching with BLM and whatever, street medics, whatever. So this trial is a formality. It's a show trial. And if you want my opinion, it's a call to arms. It's a yet another right wing call to arms. Yeah. And they're 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 going to dare yeah. the, the the Biden Justice Department to do anything about it. I I you know what uh, we have to move to our next uh, guest. He's sitting here, but Sam, I I couldn't agree with you more on that last point. It is a dare. You're absolutely correct. Dare, and then they will use that trial uh, if if if. Uh, the, the Justice Department does file charges against uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, presuming he walks. This is all on the presumption he walks. Uh, they will use that trial. Uh, they'll be talking about the government uh, infringing on the liberties of patriots. They'll be talking about cancel culture and woke mobs. They'll be using it to fundraise. Well, they'll uh, do it right. anyway. They'll do it even if they They'll do it anyway. You're right. Uh, so... The, the 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 one subtle difference between uh, Sam and me, other the non so subtle difference is he's like six four or whatever, and I'm <laughs> five nine. But the 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 one difference is, is like I don't buy completely into they're both heels. But you know what? Uh, I I put more of an onus. You notice, Sam, on the right than I do on uh, on even liberals. And I will always have that distinction because in my whole life. My whole life, anything vaguely resembling good in this country, being on civil rights, being on an environment, being on women's rights, be criminal justice, anything resembling good has been vigorously opposed by the right and the scaring liberals. Right. But can I can I just say something quickly about that? The reason those things happen is because the liberals were terrified of an organized left. And in the 60s and 70s, the corporate imperial state did a really fantastic job of just decimating the organized left. And that's where you that's that's what led, led to the rise of the neoliberals, Clinton administration. Well, first of all, Reagan, but following on the heels of Reagan and Bush you had the rise of the neoliberals because the liberals didn't have to be afraid of the left anymore. The left was, all, for all intents and purposes, gone. Yeah. So the liberals don't have to be afraid of the, the left anymore, so you're not going to get those good things anymore. They're just going to tell you, vote for us, or you get the Republican. And then you wind up getting Republican policies, and that's where we are. 
All right. Uh, I always let my get, guests let get the last word in, so I'm going to let Sam get the last word in. I'm going to thank him for coming on the show, and I'm going to bring you back, Sam, a lot sooner than uh, what's it, what's every six weeks because you got can a lot to say. Can I do a little, little plug? Go ahead. It's a website I'm a, a sort of a contributor to. It's called thestoneslide.com. It's, it's a literary website. I've written some stuff there that you might find amusing. But the other, the other writers are actually talented, so don't judge just by what you read of my stuff. So, um, But, yeah, the thestoneslide.com. Give it a look. That's all uh, I got. All right, Thanks, very good. That's the great Sam Holloway, Chicago firefighter. Don't fire him, Chicago. Come on, he's got a First Amendment right to speak his mind. Uh, and a good friend of my, me and my show. All right, thank you very much, Sam. Our next guest, the great David McCarver. And I think if he was Dave, but do you prefer to be called David? Or Dave. Just either, either one's fine, but you can call me Dave today. Okay, I'll call you Dave today. Uh, all right. So the first time I met Dave is when he showed up with, uh, was Danny B, I think it was. You were with Danny B. Uh, Danny B was the candidate uh, running uh, against Kinsinger in the 16th Congressional District. So she was coming through the studios in the old days when uh, before the COVID where I was actually in a studio as, as opposed to my house. And uh, so... Uh, you showed up and you were the aide and in between uh, the, <laughs> the conversations, the studio conversations, this guy is a incredible political junkie. Ladies and gentlemen. If you can oh, see thanks, him, man. he looks like he's 16. He's so young. Uh, but he, I like, I would test him, you know, you know, you, t- I, you know, people, you guys have heard me enough. I would throw trivia questions at him. I think, oh, this kid doesn't know anything. And he answered every single one. I go, oh my God, this guy's a chunky. Uh, and so, all right. Uh, since uh, Danny lost, Adam Kinsinger, man, the world has changed. Yeah. Uh, the view of the world's view of Adam Kinsinger has drastically changed uh, in many ways from what it was uh, when Danny was in the studio. That hasn't changed so much in my mind, but in the rest of the world's. Uh, and uh, so why don't you uh, just tell folks a little about what you're doing right now, and then we'll take it from there uh, into the challenges you face with your new political gig. So take it away, Dave. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so obviously helping to run Danny's campaign, we came up a bit short um, by a bit. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of people throughout the country, um, and especially in downstate Illinois, were kind of shocked at how poorly Democrats performed um, across the board. Uh, there were reasons for that, but we came up short. Um since then, you know, I think everybody on Team Danny just kind of took time to lick the wounds and then get back at it. Um, and then this last spring, I was elected the chair of the Lee County Democrats, where I live. And for those who don't know where Lee County is, um, if you know where Dixon is, um, it's the biggest town in the county. It is, unfortunately, the hometown of Ronald Reagan as well. Um, but I live in a small community uh, called Amboy. Um, about 2,500 people. It's definitely a rural area, an area that's depending on are dependent on agriculture and on manufacturing and an area where Democrats uh, have started to perform worse and worse over the last 10, 15 years or so. And uh, we had Sarah Bingaman on the show about a week ago. Yep. So I'm like, it's like Lee County uh, month on the Ben Jirofsky show. <laughs> uh, and I turned to people like uh, Dave and Sarah because the challenge that the Democrats face, one of the challenges they face is uh, how to turn around what's happening in areas like yours. Uh, and you and I have had conversations about this yeah. uh, day before. Um, it's, it's not a really a incredibly wealthy area. Uh, so the tax policies, let's say, of the Republican Party, which is pretty much the only 
thing of significance, and I just use the word significance not to may say it's good or bad, but just a f- it's, the, it's the only policy they have. The only right? policy they have will yeah. not benefit the average person uh, in Lee County, just so like it won't benefit the average person in Cook County or DuPage County. And yet, Lee County, what? how much did Lee County go for Donald Trump uh, in 2020? I want to say 55%. Am I right about that? Yeah, it was a little more than that, I believe. I believe it was closer to 60. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it, it's it's typical of, that, of our area in general, right? Um, Northwestern Illinois, where Lee County is situated, um, used to be an area where Democrats performed well. Those counties were either swing counties or if we're talking about, you know, counties that border us like Whiteside County, uh, Carroll County, which isn't far away. They were either reliably Democratic or swing. And that was because of manufacturing, um, because Democrats still performed pretty well in rural areas then. Uh, it was a, you know, we had strong unions. We had good jobs. Job loss has kind of decimated and I shouldn't say kind of, it definitely has. It's decimated Northwestern Illinois. And when the jobs leave, the unions leave and people get desperate. And unfortunately, um, you know, and, and to a certain extent, I can understand it, but they bought into a false prophet uh, named Donald Trump. Um, and it really exacerbated that shift from being a swing area or a lean Democratic area towards a pretty strong Republican area now. Um, like I said, uh, they bought into a false prophet uh named Donald Trump, and they thought he was going to bring the jobs. Um, they thought he was going to, you know, stick it to the elites, even though he is an elite himself. Um, and that's because Republicans, basically throughout my entire life, have always been good at fighting the culture war. Uh, they're bad at policies. They don't really have any policies besides tax cuts for their billionaire buddies. Uh, but they fight the culture war. They make everybody scared of what Democrats are allegedly going to do, even though Democrats don't do those things. Uh, like, we're not going to take your guns. We're not defunding the police. Uh, all those scare tactics, they work. Um, and they, the Republicans are able to pull it off. And and then people like Donald Trump get elected that make the problems that our areas and our communities face even worse. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately the cycle. All right. You mentioned stick it to the elites. In your mm-hmm. mind, what does it mean to stick it to the elites in, in a way that translates into votes for Republicans in places like Lee County? Right. So the Republicans paint Democrats um, kind of across the board as this party of the elites or the party of the wealthy, the party of the quote unquote woke corporations or woke mob. And people tie all those things together and they, you know, let's say you're struggling. The steel mill you used to work for, you know, closed down. You're struggling. You don't know where your health care is going to come from. You don't know, you know, what your fa- how you're going to put food on the table for your family, right? So you're going to look for anybody who's saying, hey, I'm going to make life better for you, and I'm going to make it worse for these people that I blame for your problem. And that's what happens is, you know, people, whether it's a trade deal or whatever it is that causes a job to be lost, um, they blame what they call the elites, they blame, you know, they'll call the woke mob. If you lose a job in the coal or oil industry, you're going to blame the environmentalists. And somebody like Donald Trump comes along or really any generic Republican nowadays saying, hey, I'm going to stick it to them. I'm going to give you your life back. You know, I, I don't blame people for gravitating towards that, right? That's what you want to hear. It makes you it makes you feel better and maybe more hopeful about the future. And that's what Democrats have to change is we have to get better at our messaging um, in these areas. We have to talk about how our policies are going to benefit the average ordinary everyday people. I firmly believe the democratic party is the party of the working class. We just have to do a much, much, much better job 
of getting that message out, um, especially to areas dependent on agriculture and manufacturing. All right. Now I'm going to ask you a question and, uh, it has to do with Europe from Lee. You grew up in, in the area where you live right now. I'm correct. Yes. From Lee County. Yeah. So I lived in Lee County until fifth grade. Then my family moved to LaSalle County, which is just to the South, not too far away. Um, and then I moved back here, uh, to get married. Okay. So you're from the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, You've heard the same rhetoric your entire life. Okay, this has been the predominant political rhetoric uh, since the Reagan years. Really, since the Nixon years. Well, I wasn't uh, which, alive for the Reagan or Nixon years. Yes, so. I was going to say, this kid is so young. I'm 28. I'm not that young, Ben. Uh, you look like you're younger than that. Anyway, all right. The point is, you're st- 28 is really young to me. You're yeah. Z generation. You're not yeah, even a millennial. I'm, I'm a millennial, just barely, but I am. I'm going to do some quick mathematics okay. and uh, let's see, 21, 93. I guess you're one year away from being yeah, a Z. All right, two years away. Yeah. What a year. All right. You're almost a Z. Uh, so how have you resisted the lure of the Republican uh, elite bashing rhetoric? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of that stems from, uh, I got pretty lucky um, with good parents, right? My, my family's always been working class. Um, and they always, you know, we, they always drove the point home that it's about taking care of people um, in situations like yours um, and fighting for the little guy um, and banding together and having a strong community. Um, and my dad worked a union job. Um, so he's always, you know, he's leaned towards the Democratic side. And that's just, you know, where my politics went as well. I remember reading, um, there's a magazine, my dad was a UAW guy, and they put out every month a magazine called Solidarity. And it would talk about just working class issues and focus on the politicians who are helping them and the politicians who are standing in the way. And, you know, I would read the magazine um, and I would look at it and I'd say, yeah, you know, the Republicans are actively fighting to actually make life worse for my family. Uh, and the Democrats are fighting to make life better for my family. So to me, it was, you know, it was a pretty easy choice. Um, yeah, that, that's really, that's really, I think, the root cause of why my political beliefs are the way that they are is, you know, my upbringing. You know, my parents raised me to be a, a good and honest person who cares about the working class. So if you're going to be a good and honest person who cares about the working class, I don't think you're going to be a Republican. We had on the show up a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Ellison, who's a political junkie, very similar. He reminds me of you. He's from uh, Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, Kokomo, Indiana. And he was telling a similar tale. I urge everybody, by the way, to check out that interview as well. Um, uh, another young political junkie uh, that I, we, we, we really took the deep dive on the congressional maps. Uh, Dave, you'd have enjoyed that conversation. All right. I would have. Um, and, uh, so let's, uh, so you talk about messaging, mm-hmm. uh, what would you like to hear? What kind of message? Listen, we're going to, it's going to be put in action. 2022 pivotal, yep. pivotal election year. Uh, it's going to determine who will be, uh, in charge of Congress, who will be in charge of the Senate, who will run the state of Illinois. I'm a little nervous about the state of Illinois right now. So what messaging uh, do you think it's really important to hear from Democrats in order to uh, have a strong showing in 2022? So um, I'll take your question as directed towards the areas where I live or the area where I live. I think the key is to talk about jobs. Um, And here in Illinois specifically, let's talk about the nuclear plants, right? There's a nuclear plant not too far from my house um, in Byron. Uh, that the Democrats saved. The Democrats in Illinois kept open. Uh, same with the one, I believe it was the Dresden plant uh, down near LaSalle County. Um, 
Democrats kept those open. Democrats saved those jobs, right? Democrats not only saved those jobs, they did them in a way that there's not going to be insane rate increases for people with their electricity uh, to power their home, to cool down their home in the summer and to keep it heated in the winter. Democrats did that. The leading contender for governor right now on the Republican side, Darren Bailey, voted against it and said that if he were governor, it would have never happened. So if Republicans want to talk about jobs, we should talk about them louder. We should talk about them first. We should bring up the fact that it was Governor Pritzker and the Democrats who saved those jobs, right? And then on a, on a larger scale, let's say maybe for congressional candidates or just on a nationwide scale, let's talk about the infrastructure bill that just passed. Um, I think we've still got to finish the job by passing the rest of the Build Back Better agenda. But what was passed was still really great, in particular for Illinois. We're getting $17 billion. We're fixing roads. We're fixing bridges. Uh, we're going to help get rid of lead in our water supply. It's going to expand broadband, which really matters for areas like mine. There are homes in Lee County where people just don't have access to broadband. And when you're in the middle of a pandemic and forced to work from home or have your kids, uh, you know, have school from home, it's hard to do without access to a stable internet connection. It's something that impacts your day-to-day -day life. Uh, so we need to talk about those things and talk about how Republicans always promise these things, but Democrats are the ones who deliver. Democrats deliver jobs, Democrats deliver infrastructure, Democrats save the nuclear plants, and you know we could go on and on. Um, and stop, kind of just stop being defensive about it. Let's stand up and be proud of what we've done as Democrats. Let's be proud of it. And in, in my lifetime, I think the biggest mistake Democrats made uh, was in the 2010 election cycle, which happened when I was a senior in high school, and they just didn't, they didn't step up to the plate and defend Obamacare the way they should have. And Obamacare's a flawed bill, not perfect, didn't go far enough, didn't have the public option, unfortunately, due to Senator Joe Lieberman. Um, we, didn't get, we didn't get as good of a bill as we could have, but it was still a good bill. It helped families save money. It, you know, kids with pre-existing conditions could go see a doctor and their families wouldn't go bankrupt. And Democrats just played defense. They said, oh, no, no, I, you know, it's got to be fixed. It's got to be this and that. They hemmed and they hawed. And the Republicans just took that and ran with it and had the biggest red wave year um, of my lifetime. Uh, so let's not do that again, I guess would be my advice. Let's stand up. Let's have a backbone. Let's talk about these things we've done that are going to help working class people and working class families. I, and, you know, I agree with you. I'm nodding and raising my head when you're talking about Obamacare. Uh, one of my pet peeves about the Obama administration and the, the direction that the Democratic Party took during the Obama years, and I talk about this all the time, Dave, is that it became a, like a cultish party where everybody loved Obama, the the character Obama, the persona Obama, uh, but the ideas that he fostered, in, at least in that first year, <laughs> did, I don't know about the rest of it. You get what I'm saying? They, the ideals that he championed were gone. It, was, it wasn't about health care. It was about what a, the Obamas. We love Obama. And I, I think that was a dangerous uh, direction for the Democrats to take. Uh, and I think we're paying for it. What's your thoughts? Yeah. I, I would, you know, I would tend to agree with you there, but I would also say that part of the reason why Obama wasn't able to, you know, finish his agenda um, is because we had the, those losses in 2010, right? You're dealing with a Republican Congress led by John Boehner, um, led by people like John Boehner and Paul Ryan. You know, you're not going to get anything done. They've been the party of no my entire life. Um, so even the things that we wanted to get done, the things that Obama would have pushed for, I think that our party learned the wrong lesson uh, after 2010. The lesson should have been, let's stand up, let's fight for what we believe in, let's fight for what we pass, not cower away from it. 
And we just continued to cower away and cower away. And then we got a really big loss in 2016 from it. Um, and then, of course, we grew some resistance, some backbone there. We fought back. We've taken back the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And here we are. We've passed a good bill again, a good bill, not a perfect bill, a bill we need to finish. But let's learn the correct lesson from that 2009 healthcare fight this time. Let's stand up. Let's talk about the good things that happened, and let's fight for those things um, and tell people why those were the, the, that was a good thing for your family because of X, Y, and Z. Because your Uncle Gary has a job in construction now. We're fixing the road that you drive on to go to work. It's going to help out farmers who've been driving on these decrepit roads and these decrepit bridges that we built during the freaking Eisenhower administration, right? Um, it's going to help out working families. It's going to help out people in small towns and rural areas and in these manufacturing areas like where I grew up. Now, let me ask you this. In your humble opinion, having said what you just said, do you think that Democrats should openly confront the issue of, quote unquote, woke, which is the counterattack Republicans throw out? I, I get uh, I talk about this all the time on the show. I'm on a Republican uh, email list. I must get 20. And I, I mean, I get so many, Dave. I could show you. You'd be astounded. It's a machine that the Republicans, they send out one email after another in different names. Mike Pompeo is sending me. Dan Crenshaw <laughs> is sending me. Uh, it, Rubio, Cruz, the, the list goes on and on. And every Trump kid is sending me emails uh, and uh, pounding, pounding. Po- I get them from Marjorie Taylor Green. I just remember her. She said, the woke Bob, the radical woke mob, in your opinion, should Democrats from your neck of the woods just openly confront it? Uh, and or should they do? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing right now. They're kind of like running from it, f- afraid. And we're not really like that. <laughs> right. I, th- I think I think what we're doing for the most part um, is just kind of I don't want to say ignoring it, but I I it's really hard for me to, and I try to, um, I live in a Republican area, right? I have Republican friends. I talk to them. We can have decent civilized conversations. It's hard for me though, to take any, to, to take people seriously when they invoke this quote unquote woke mob, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you're talking about the woke mob, somebody like Senator Ted Cruz is talking about big bird, right? Or they're crying about Dr. Seuss for some reason. And to me, whatever those issues are, whatever big bird or Dr. Seuss are doing, you know, whining about that doesn't help working families, right? So I think that's where we need to shift that conversation and say, look, you want to argue about, you know, Big Bird, you want to argue about Dr. Seuss, you want to be mad at some corporation that's having some inclusive policy finally, right? You want to be mad at them and say the woke mob's ruining America, even though the government isn't forcing anybody to do any of this. Let's turn it around and let's say you're distracted by this because you're trying to divide people. I'm trying to, you know, bring back jobs. I'm trying to improve people's access to healthcare. I'm trying to improve all these things for their actual day-to-day lives. You're trying to get somebody pissed off on Facebook about Dr. Seuss. That's what we need to do is say that Republicans aren't talking about serious things because they don't have any serious things to talk about. I would love to hear uh, somebody just openly say what you just said, just right in their face. Uh, I've not heard it. They beat around the bush. They almost apologize uh, for, or they, it it just, and by the way, I've been seeing this my whole life. I talk about this a lot. Uh, Mike, Michael Dukakis in the 1988 debate, same thing. It just, Democrats were afraid to stand up for whatever they believe in uh, and, and just get turned into a caricature and they just, 
get obliterated by Republicans. Uh, oh, my God. It's just flashing back John Edwards in the debate against Dick Cheney. What yeah. a cop out that was. He let Cheney just pound him. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're lo- Dick Cheney, this is the war, uh, the evil warmonger. All right. Uh, I got to ask you something uh, in regards to uh, something you mentioned the last time. Uh, we were having a conversation and you were talking about how uh, there are voters in your district uh, that voted for Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, and have su- subsequently voted for Donald Trump. And I know this is a reality, but David still blows my mind mm-hmm. uh, that somebody could vote for Barack Obama and then turn around and vote for Donald Trump. It caught me off guard. I confess I was completely uh just not prepared for this uh, in 2016 when I first was exposed to it. So why don't you um, help me out here and help our listeners out? What is it about Barack Obama that uh, voters went for? And what is it about Donald Trump that the same voters who voted for Barack Obama voted for a man who just seems to be the diametric opposite of Barack Obama? Help me out here. So um, with regards to, again, areas like mine, that's really all I can speak on. Um, Barack Obama performed well in Northwestern Illinois, um, especially in 2008, but again, pretty well in 2012, especially considering where their shift was heading, because he talked about the issues that they cared about. Uh, he, You know, the auto bailout. That's something that Democrats trumpeted all throughout the Midwest in 2012, and it's why they were able to have some significant wins. right? Gen- I remember now President Biden, then Vice President Biden, standing up and saying, Osama bin Laden is dead and General Motors is alive. It was something as simple as that to show that, you know, we're on your side here. We're on the side of the working class. We're going to talk about those issues that matter to you. I remember during the 2012 Democratic National Convention, almost every speaker that got up told a good story about how Obamacare helped their life. And these were people who were maybe from a bigger city like a San Francisco and also people from areas like Amboy, right? They brought in a whole coalition of people from every area to talk about how these things impacted their life in a positive way. Uh, we just talked about the issues that mattered um, to normal everyday people, and it was their health care and it was their job. We again bragged about and got grew a backbone about defending the things that we had done, and that's why he was able to be successful. And then in 2016, you have Donald Trump running um, and claiming that you know everything is a mess, everything is awful because let's be honest, we didn't get everything we wanted done in the Obama administration. He blamed him for that and said he was going to fix it. And it was a, it was at a time when there were still mills closing down. There were coal mines closing down. There were all these things happening that were negatively impacting the working class. It's what I said earlier. He was a false prophet, said he was going to bring back jobs, said he was going to do all these things, put more money in their pockets. And more importantly, he was going to go after people like the Obamas, who he painted as elite, um, and I won't get, I mean, I guess I could get into that, but it's a guy with a golden toilet calling somebody who grew up, you know, with a single mom raised by grandparents, calling that guy an elite when you have a golden toilet doesn't make any sense. And people bought it uh, because they were ready to be angry at somebody. They blamed, uh, they blamed undocumented people uh, who uh, crossed our southern border. Uh, you know, good, honest people. I went to school with undocumented people, right? Um, there And they... And I would never, you know, you would never in a million years see somebody say something so nasty uh, like Donald Trump's rhetoric towards their neighbor, even though their neighbor might be undocumented. But Donald Trump would rile everybody up on TV. They'd get the disinformation from Fox News and people turned against their neighbor. They voted the way they did. 
um, because they were trying to cling to something. And it's uh, it's horrible to see. And Democrats share a good amount of that blame because, again, you know, in 2016, we kind of did that thing where we didn't fight back strong enough. We didn't mm-hmm. talk about how Donald Trump's policies were going to to wreck things uh, for working class families. Um, and then we paid the price for it, unfortunately. And then the whole nation paid the price for it. All right. Uh, and I'll add a, another aspect get your response uh hillary clinton was the candidate so we're talking clintons now uh and i gotta believe that that has its own reverberation in your neck of the woods the clintons talk about that it does uh, in large part due to nafta and i don't think it's for i want to state very clearly that i was excited and happy to vote for hillary clinton in 2016 um fairly or unfairly you know they blame Bill Clinton for that. Well, fairly blaming Bill Clinton for NAFTA. That's fair. Hillary Clinton got the uh, blowback from that in 2016 um, in areas like this and in areas and places where she narrowly lost, like uh, Wisconsin and in Michigan. Um, she got the blame for it. NAFTA, it's no secret. We lost manufacturing jobs, lost good paying union jobs because of the trade deal. And we've we've paid the price in several elections and 2016 was one of them, too. You know, that would be a classic case of where uh, Democrats looked like elites. Yep. And this fits your narrative, uh, Dave. I thought I think about the NAFTA fight. I think about the trade fights where a Democratic strategists and pundits are telling people Democratic strategists and pundits who have well-paying jobs with full benefits are telling people who are about to lose their jobs, lose their benefits. Hey this is really ultimately good for you in the long run. That fits the narrative of an elite to the core. You're not paying the price for the consequence of whatever proposal you're saying the country desperately needs. And you're tone deaf Mm -hmm. to the suffering of the people who are paying the price. Do do you agree with me on that point? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And when you want to talk about really any trade dealer, anybody who supports like 100% free trade, right? My response is always, then you go down to the steel mills, you go down to the factories that are going to close, you shake their hands and you look them in the eye and you tell them why they have to lose their job. You tell them. And they, they don't want to. I mean, it's people who, like you said, they dress up in these suits, they get up on TV and they talk down to you about how your life's going to be better. Um, And Democrats, I think, I think, and I hope that we've learned that lesson and we're moving away from it. Um, Again, this is stuff that happened a little while ago. I think, and I hope, I pray that we've learned our lesson from that, but um, we have to, we have to not talk down to people and we have to actually address the concerns that they have and you can't ship somebody's job away and tell them that it's good for them in the long run. They're not going to believe you. They're not going to vote for you if that's the case. All right. Uh, I got to ask you the Adam Kinzinger question. <laughs> uh, so the last time you were, well, uh, the, the only time we were in the studio, I don't know, maybe you met there twice. I think uh, you came with Danny so. and yeah, you came in twice. Uh, Danny was on my show. I think four times I did what I could Danny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you ran a valiant fight. Uh, all, I love this, the Dems and the 16th Congressional because it's an uphill fight and they got a lot of guts and they know I love them. Uh, he, he beat you. Yeah. Uh, he beat the Democrats. And he, at that time, was just, to me, just your typical right-wing Republican. Uh, and subsequently, because he stood up to Trump, and I give him credit for that, 
I give him credit for that. He's been transformed. It's kind of hard for me to to deal with yeah, the, the transformation of Adam Kinzinger to this like great founding father type uh, figure. Uh, right. But how are you t- dealing with it, uh, Dave? Uh, it's frustrating, Ben. It's it's frustrating because. And I, and I, I want to be careful here because I don't, I don't, I try not to hate anybody and I don't think I hate Adam Kinzinger. And in fact, I think I give him credit for standing up for the constitution and standing up, you know, for a peaceful transition of power. But at the same time, that is a very, very, very low hurdle to clear. That should be the bare minimum. That should be something we expect from all elected officials. And unfortunately, you know, 90% of the elected Republicans, we can't expect that from anymore. So the 10%, like your Liz Cheney's and like your uh, Adam Kinzinger, that we can expect that from, uh, you know, they get lauded and praised. Um, and sometimes rightfully so. Again, give him credit for standing up for the for the absolute right thing, even though it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt him in whatever potential primary he does decide to run in. Uh, it's going to hurt him. But at the same time, his voting record is not a voting record that, you know, I feel like I've said working families a million times on this show, but it's not a record that supports working families. It's not a record that supports American jobs. It's not a record that stands up for women. It's not a record that stands up for minorities. It's your typical Republican record that is not great uh, if you're a working class person. He voted 94% of the time with Donald Trump or 93% or whatever it ended up being at the end. And I think that that kind of gets lost in the shuffle that he is he's still a very, very conservative Republican and conservative Republicans don't deliver things for the working class. And that's my message. I will say, though, I get a kick out of. uh, So, like I said, I'm the chair of the Lee County Democratic Party. I get a kick out of the Lee County Republicans bragging about the fact that they all voted to not support Adam Kinzinger if he ever runs for anything again. And I'm sitting there going, this guy is the best Republican politician you have in terms of wins and in terms of votes and in terms of margin. And you're going to throw that away because he won't bend the knee to, to former president Donald Trump. I find that ridiculous. Um, so I guess I'm kind of on Adam's side there, uh, but I also have to just sit back and laugh at it. Cause that's funny to me because again, they're cutting off their nose to start their face. Um, our, our counterparts here in Lee County are. Yeah, and none of them, by the way, are saying that voted. Uh, they had, hey guys, you had the opportunity. Twenty twenty, yeah. could have voted for Danny B. Yeah. If, okay. if you didn't like Adam that much, just leave it blank, man. Then we could have won. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like you, all of a sudden, like Adam has been who he's been. He was sometimes critical of Trump beforehand. If you hated that so much, leave it blank. We would have taken it. Uh, <laughs> leave it blank. <laughs> That's actually funny. Everybody yeah. Uh, all right, I. Um, let me ask you about some of the issues that uh, may be challenging in your neck of the woods okay. and see how you respond to it. Uh, I have a sense when I, when I try to uh, predict where the Republicans will go in Illinois, what cards they'll play uh, to try to uh, win Illinois, uh, to win the governor's seat. Uh, I think about the, this so-called parents' rights movement that I saw happening in Virginia. And I go, oh, they're going to be hammering parental notification on abortions. That's going to be where they're going to go. That's my sense. Uh, Here we are. I mean, uh, we're about a year out before the the election really kicks in. Uh, So how do you think the parental notification issue plays in your neck of the woods? Not great. Um, And I think that's, you know, 
I'll, I'll get this out of the way, right? You know, I'm a, uh, I'm very much pro-choice. I believe any parental notification was the right thing to do. I think that it is, it, it's a, it's a huge step forward for our state. And I was actually excited that it passed. I don't think any young woman who's put in a situation like that should have to clear another hurdle um, that might force her to, to do something that she doesn't want to do with her body. I think that's wrong. Um, it's not going to play well here. It's a more socially conservative area. Um, you know, I grew up going to church. I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, I live in a rural area and those things don't play well here. Again, we have to talk about the things that benefit the working class. We have to turn the, the conversation back to jobs, 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 and healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Um, that's what we have to talk about. Um, now, I'm not saying that Democrats should ignore that. We should stand up for it and defend it. Again, I don't like when we cower away from things. I think we should stand up and defend it and say it's an individual liberty issue and we support that person's individual liberty. And that's that. You know, that's the end of that's the end of that conversation. Granted, that won't be the end of the conversation because, uh, again, back to the culture war, whether it's we're going to take your guns, we're going to defund the police. Here is, you know, they want to kill babies. That's what they say. Uh, we all know that's not the case, but that's what they say. That's what they twist it as. And unfortunately, that might be an issue that we lose. And if somebody feels very strongly in the opposite way on that issue, we might not get their vote for Congress. We might not get their vote for state rep. There's no reason why we should lose their vote for county board or for a countywide office, things where that issue doesn't really have an impact. And we can still show them that we have candidates running in your area that can help you with your normal day-to-day life. Do you think that it would be advantageous to Democrats to point out uh, to championing a principle? And so, in other words, follow me on this. Uh, Republicans champion a principle. Mm-hmm. They always declare a, a principle. I think they're very effective at this. I, I have so much fun mocking them because they don't really stand up to the a principle is something that you believe in regardless of the specifics. So liberty. I believe in liberty. A government cannot tell yeah. me what to do with my body. That means a government can't force you to take uh, a vaccine and a government can't force you to carry a child to birth. OK. And but they only apply that principle. <laughs> they're, they're selective when it comes to their principles. They only apply yeah. it to uh, mandates uh, for vaccines, not for carrying a child to birth. Right. So my question to you is this. Do you think it would be effective tactic for Democrats to employ uh, their hypocrisy counterattack uh, toward Republicans? Or do you think, as my previous guest, Sam, uh, believes that hypocrisy is not an effective tactic uh, in a uh, political contest? Go ahead. I, I don't think it is because those uh, I would agree with your previous guest, Sam. Um I would I would agree with him because, quite frankly, no, you're not going to win a vote by telling somebody, oh, well, you think this on vaccines, so you should carry that over to abortion, right? And because before being honest, we're the flip-flop of that. We're the inverse of that, right? We believe that, and the Supreme Court has upheld that certain vaccine mandates are constitutional, and we believe that a woman's right to choose uh, what happens to her body is also constitutional. Um, so we're the inverse of that too. So they could flip that right around and call us hypocrites as well. I think, again, it just comes down to, we believe in the, you know, the liberty of that person to make that individual choice when it comes to, uh, carrying, carrying a child to full term, when it comes to going through a pregnancy. Um, and those are difficult decisions that I, as, as I'm a, I'm a guy, right. I'm not going to get pregnant. I, 
I'm never going to have to make that decision. So why should I let the government make that decision for mm-hmm. other people? And that's hopefully we can end the conversation there because again, it doesn't work for us politically in this area. But again, that doesn't mean we should cower from it. We should stand up for it and say, yeah, I believe it's right because X, Y, and Z lay out the, the individual liberty issue and, you know, let the chips fall where they may and convince them on the other, on um, the other issues that impact their day-to-day life. All right. We'll probably have this conversation in greater detail uh, down the road. I, not, I don't completely agree with you or Sam, uh, but I just remember um, Donald Joe Biden's press secretary, whose name at the moment has escaped me, Saki, I believe is her last name. Saki, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think the P is silent. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, one of her great moments uh, at the podium, and you know she's a ducker, uh, a classic ducker and dodger. Uh, she's really good at the ducking and dodging part of the game. But one moment she has, she stood toe to toe with this conservative newsman. I forget which outlet he's Was from. Was that, that Peter Ducey guy from uh, Fox News? Yeah, and he was talking about just uh, uh, who's going to protect the um, the unborn child. Like he was suddenly suddenly caring about uh, vulnerable people, which is you talk about hypocrisy. The Republican Party caring about people who are vulnerable, uh, and she just came right back at him. She didn't bow down. She goes, "Well, you're never going to have to deal with this." And I thought that was such a. I was like, "Oh my God, a Democrat standing up for a freaking principle." I almost pass as opposed to doing what you said, cowering and well, you know, they have a good point. And, uh, and I was like, I believe she she got a telling blow in there. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go, Saki." And yeah, you know that that's that's what I love to see from Democrats. Um, just it's essentially our policies are good. Our policies help working people. Our policies help women. Our policies help communities of color. Let's talk about them. Let's brag about them. Let's defend them and prove it and, and convince people that they're the right thing to do because we strongly believe that they are. Um, and that, that goes the same um, for any issue. And I, I do think maybe on a certain point of hypocrisy, what you can do with the, uh, with the issue of a woman's right to choose is talk about how so often these Republican politicians are adamant that a woman carries um, a child to term, even regardless of how it was conceived and regardless of whether or not it was planned, right? But once that baby's born, they want to cut the SNAP benefits that help to feed the baby. They want to get rid of the subsidies that help to put that baby in childcare while the mom's working two jobs. They want to do all these things that don't actually help the, the baby have a good life. They, they want to harm that baby, right? And I grew up in a family, you know, we were on we were on food stamps for a certain amount of time, right? And there's no shame in that. Sometimes you need help. Um, so we were on food stamps. Uh, we ate free lunch at school. We got help from the government for other things. And, and you know, everywhere that I turned, it was, you know, Republicans talking about how they were so pro-life. Well, they weren't pro-my life. They weren't pro-me eating at school. They weren't pro-my brothers eating at school. So I don't know what you're talking about when you call yourself pro-life and you're against somebody, you know, being able to eat. That just, it, it doesn't add up to me. So I think a certain point of hypocrisy there, um, you, you could ding them on, but I don't think with the, with the vaccine mandate you could. All right. Uh, and final question. Uh, the Rittenhouse, I talked about this with Sam. I don't know if you heard the end of our, our conversation. Uh, Sam Holloway, my previous guest. Uh, who is far to the left? I don't know if you heard the out beginning of the, but Sam, oh, your friend, I, mine, he's, I heard he's the far end. to the left. Okay, okay, yeah. uh, and he's he's one of my best friends. I love that man. So, um, okay, 
the the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict may be, have already come down. I don't know. I'm, I've been talking in isolation here today. It's coming down soon. How do you think that's going to play uh, one way or another in your neck of the woods? Um, so I think you, you find the cross-section of a lot of issues there, right? Um, so I, I guess I could take them one at a time. We'll start with the Second Amendment issue, right? Gun owners are, uh, uh, I shouldn't paint people with a broad brush, but people who are um, really into the gun rights issue are seem to be planted firmly on Kyle Rittenhouse's side. Um, and I believe this is maybe one issue where I might differ with my party. I believe strongly in the Second Amendment. I believe strongly in somebody's right to own a firearm. And my belief when it comes to the Second Amendment is that the working class should be armed at all times. Um, I, that can be seen as a little bit of a radical belief, but it's what I believe. Um, but Kyle Rittenhouse, I mean, you still have to play by the rules. Um, and when it comes to guns, he shouldn't have had that gun. And he certainly shouldn't have been able to obtain that gun across state lines. Um, and that should make responsible gun owners everywhere angry, right? He, I, here's a, what was he, 16 or 17-year-old kid put in a situation driven there by his mom. Um, obviously, he wanted to go. I'm not taking away responsibility from him. It's his fault, too. Driven there by his mom, obtained a gun across state lines. Um, that should make every responsible gun owner angry. Um, and then he's out there and two, what, I, forgive me on the details, but two people died. One person got seriously hurt because he was there. Um, if he doesn't show up, that doesn't happen. And I, I, to me, that's the end of that issue. You no, know, regardless of where you feel on the black lives matter spectrum, regardless of where you feel, you know, I shouldn't say spectrum, but on that issue, um, that should be the end of that, right? Like he shouldn't have been there because he was there. This happened. You can try to claim self-defense all you want, but he shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been able to, shouldn't have obtained that gun. Um, it is a tricky issue though, because you also get to the black lives matter backlash that you see often, um, in a lot of areas that are predominantly white. Um, and as your previous guest, Sam was talking about, um, unfortunately those police officers who were there, um, seem to be on Kyle's side. And I don't, you know, I don't understand that uh, one bit uh, because here's a person who, again, legally should not have had that gun across state lines. I, I mean, I don't know. It's a, that's a tough one for, I guess it is a tough one for us here in areas like this. But I think at the same time, you can make the points that I just made about how Kyle shouldn't have been in that situation, period. And also, um regardless of how the jury rules on this. And I think Sam was right that he's going to get away with it, especially since the gun possession charge was dropped. Um, I mean, you can, yeah, I, I'm really kind of at a loss for words there, Ben. I don't, I don't, this issue's tough. Yeah, it is. A, it's a, it's a tough issue. Uh, if you're running for political office and, uh, in your neck of the woods, it's, uh, uh, for me anyway it's of course i'm not running for political office anywhere i get clobbered uh <laughs> wherever i ran i would get clobbered so i don't find it uh as difficult an issue but i understand exactly what you're saying and i could hear the campaign coming uh and trying to get that message out about jobs 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 in the face of uh they're a mob that wants to take away your guns dave that's a tough tough uh challenge yeah, it is a tough challenge but I, the, the thing that i like to point to when people bring that up is okay what guns did you lose because there was a democrat president what guns did you lose because there was a democratic governor like there, there aren't any 
Yeah. We, we don't do that. Uh, the Democratic Party believes that people have the right to own firearms. Yeah. I, that, I, and I think that's been that's been clear uh, in our policies. We just don't. Again, it's one of those issues we cower away from. Right. When people bring it up, we try to thread a needle. We should say, hey, we think responsible gun owners should be allowed to own guns. And that should be the end of the conversation. Again, the Republicans are good with their messaging on the culture war. That's exactly what's going to happen with this Rittenhouse trial. Uh, and we just we have to be ready. We have to be ready for it. Uh, by the way, I just want to make one subtle uh, editing uh, to your comments. Uh, you have a First Amendment protected right in my show to say what you want. But I would change uh, the gun charges were dropped to the gun charges were thrown out. A drop yeah. would be by the prosecutor saying, well, I don't have the evidence uh, to support this, so we're just going to let this one fall. Uh, <laughs> what happened was the judge put his thumb on Lady, Lady Bl- Justice Scales. Said, oh, this is the one thing they can nail him on. I'm throwing it out. Anyway, what a heck of a judge up there. No, uh, I yeah, that's been a that's been a mess. I've you know a lot of that's been happening while I've been at work, and uh, my wife's been home and watching it. And Molly will you know tell me all about it when I get home, and it's just it's it's beyond frustrating, Ben. Yeah. All right, uh, Dave, really enjoy talking politics with you whenever, even if I'm just walking down the street on my <laughs> cell phone talking to you. Love talking politics with David McCarver. Uh, and uh, he's the head of the, the Democratic Party in Lee County. They got some great Democrats down in Lee and uh, you're fighting a good fight. So I'm going to bring you back on the show uh, throughout the year because this is, again, Dave, you know as well as I do, it's a pivotal year. We can talk about later on the congressional races at stake. Yeah. You got uh, the 17th congressional. Uh, Letitia Wallace has already thrown her name. She's running for her office there. That's going to be a, a, a heated battle for Dems to hold, to keep that one. That's yeah. the seat that I'm most worried about, actually, the 17th. Uh, yeah. And so we have a lot to talk about. I don't know. Let, let's see what Mary Miller is going to do. Uh, that's a curious <laughs> one. I'm Mary just glad Miller I wasn't one. drawn into her district. Yeah. That's, that's all <laughs> that's, I'll say with regards uh, to Mary Miller. We came close, though. Um, and I do want to, before I leave here, Ben, of course, I enjoyed talking politics with you. Go ahead, call anytime, text anytime. I'll come on the show whenever you would like. Um, I do want to point out, I know we did, I wouldn't call it bashing, but we kind of talked about things that Democrats have done wrong. Again, before I leave, I just want to talk about the things we've done right. This infrastructure bill is a game changer for rural America. It's a game changer for all of America. Let's finish the job with Build Back Better. Let's have that backbone. Let's defend our policies because they're good policies, damn it. And we should defend them. They help working people. They help mothers. They help women. They help communities of color. Let's talk about it. Let's brag about it. And let's, you know, in Illinois, let's go after Republicans when they're going to threaten state workers this upcoming cycle to take away their pensions and their right to collectively bargain. That's exactly what they're going to do. It's the only game plan they ever have in Illinois. It's because that's what the billionaires want. We're the party of the working class. Let's act like it. Let's defend ourselves. And let's go. Well put. Uh, Kenny G, that's what he's uh, gearing up to do in the next election. You're going to hear a lot about that on this show for sure. All right. Uh, Dave McCarver, the pride and joy of Lee County. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I also want to thank Sam Holloway, my dear friend, firefighter extraordinaire from the city of Chicago. Yeah, he's a little left of center. So what? So am I. Uh, and uh, enjoy having them both. Uh, and I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. That is Dave McCarver, Sarah Bingaman, and Sam Holloway will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. You're out of order, sir.
You're out of order, sir. You're out of order, sir. 